The following recording is a reading of author and writer Matthew Pope's Greatest of These, a theological study on true love and biblical love. This book aims to inform readers of what God's love truly is and what it encompasses. May you enjoy this reading and this audible version of this publication, and may God bless you. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed in a moment. First Corinthians 13, declaratory as the persona of St. Paul himself, is the revelation of the ordered mark of love and foremost complexity to hope and faith. The theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity, demonstrate the threeness of man's fulfillment. These are consummate virtues which embalm the corpse of wickedness, prevailing with humble fortitude of that great God. And in Corinthians, it is the reference to that of the Father that the virtues are commonplace. For one cannot come to the Father, save he have faith beholding in his heart. Secondly, the man must show forth a view of hope and the grandeur of God. For the Lord is not vanity and subjection to earth. Indubitably, the Lord is earth's, and the earth's is the Lord's. Thirdly, charity is his modus. For his dear son witnessed the betrayal of a father to a son, as Abraham neared the execution of his son Isaac. Jesus himself, serving the penance of mankind, working the genius of incarnation for the propagation of sanctification. In accordance, faith is the acceptance of love, for true love rests in God's Son, the trade of the mortal for the immortal, the bargain of death bartered by men of exceptional arrogance, audacious in politics, a casting of lots for shredded raiment, bloodied, sweated, soaked from sins universal, the first love and the last, his name is Jesus Christ. In 2008, author and writer Matthew Pope confessed Christ as Lord, and 12 years later, by reason hereof is his commemoration of that sacred day. A statement on the 12 reasons that Jesus came to earth, this theological work distinguishes why Christ decided to ransom his creation, even becoming one of us by dying for our very sins. This guide to truths of Christianity and their explanations, pictures and symbols represent the integrity of God's divine gift, his son Jesus tabernacling with humanity. Jesus' preeminent reasons and twelve reasons Jesus came to earth, by reason hereof invokes its own scriptural purpose, testifying, and by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins, Hebrews 5.3. Likewise, this publication makes itself available for context of Bible verses and for commodity, by reason hereof, now available for purchase on Amazon Kindle. And lo, I am with you always. The Great Commission is the command that Jesus Christ spoke to his twelve followers before he ascended. A declaratory statement to go and preach the gospel to every creature, he would be with us even unto the end of the world. In this book by author and writer Matthew Pope, And lo, I am with you always bears the name of his ministry in this publication. A compilation of cover-to-cover shots of each of his books, the information and purpose is provided for every writing he has published. 
basing this on the supreme challenge that God has bested in his Christian people. Matthew 28.20 spells out for the believer that we are never alone and always on mission. Complete with essays on each biblically inspired title and their colorful displays, the root of the word as center for this booklet is the symbol for all lovers of truth. Marking that monthly anniversary of Matthew Pope's ministry identity, as well, the Carolina Blue presentation stays true to his theme and the Holy Spirit's fidelity. And lo, I'm with you always, available now for purchase on Amazon Kindle. Hello and welcome to In a Moment. I'm your host, author and writer, Matthew Pope. And in what's been a perpetual aim to return back to this text of greatest of these, I sought to continue the narration in this episode after taking a hiatus from the subject altogether and wanted to bring again the reading of the text, the narration thereof. And I wanted to introduce in this second segment, this final segment for the episode, and and what is a short, short episode, I wanted to introduce some more biblical footnotes to this text. My intention is to run through, as I've done in the earlier episode, to study the Word, and that's what St. Paul calls us to do, the very one that wrote this text of 1 Corinthians. He's called us to study the Word, showing ourselves approved unto God, not ashamed of the work, and so In this text, it was essential that Scripture be put on a pedestal. It was essential that to define true love and biblical love, Scripture had to be involved. That is the very essence of what love is. It's rooted in the Scripture of God. It is rooted in the Word of God, the Logos. And so as we've read this third chapter, or paragraph, if you will, I wanted to finish up this chapter. This is an actual chapter or segment. It isn't actually hinted at or located in the text as a chapter per se, but it is a section of text. And so this is divided up by Bible verse as I exposit these uh, quotations and scriptures themselves in 1 Corinthians 13. And I wanted to start with the Bible verses in this third paragraph and to close this show in this episode today with these verses in mind and reading them and understanding them and explaining them because it's easy to explain love in the sense of the Bible. If we've got that understood, that's one level, but the second level is the actual scripture involved. It is diving into the word and understanding it. So I'll begin in the third paragraph as we've just stated. And this is where first Corinthians 13, the whole chapter in its entirety is actually kept and provided And so it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have all the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. 
whether there will be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, prophesy in part, excuse me. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now I apologize for reading that so quickly. It's become second nature to sight read. King James Version myself, I'm actually able to read it and then translate it into a uh, simpler text. So an NIV, ESV kind of version. But there are still times when it causes my mouth to stumble, my mind moves faster than my tongue does. Um, but the King James is so rich, and I have to offer a, a side side note here, a, a tangent, if you will. But the King James is is something that I've loved since a young child. I've always had King James Version Bibles, and if you follow my ministry or my writing career, you know that I've always used King James, and that's something that I continuously read from. Um, that's just part of who I am, and it's just something that I love. But there are some words in this First Corinthians thirteen footnote that you may not be familiar with. Um, when it says charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, it's, it's charity is not prideful. Um, charity doesn't keep a, a list of right or wrongs. It doesn't, uh, doesn't keep a, a measurement um, of the other person and how they act. Uh, love is, is simply itself. It goes and it's, it's selfless. Um, and when it says it, of course, bearing all things, that means to, to take the brunt of, to, to show forth itself. I bear something. I'm bearing truth. I'm bearing witness. Love does this. Um, it suffers long. It doesn't envy. Um, and prophecy. So when it speaks of prophecies, you know, without love, they'll fail. You know, we can make prophecies about anything. A prophetic, you know, we often do this in our relationships. We have this prophetic tongue that we speak with and, and think that if we share some kind of prophecy about that person, they'll fall in love with us. Or, uh, and then you think about the, the, the occult and tarot cards and you think about um, crystal balls and, and that kind of prediction taking the place of God and saying no I'll I'll foresee the future I'll make it happen um, you know and you speak life and death with your mouth that's what the scriptures say but a lot of times we think that if we just say I'm gonna have something we're gonna have it and it bypasses God and it bypasses intercession and it bypasses prayer and worship because we ask amiss like James says we just want something for our lust to, that we've craved in our hearts for and that's not what God desires. And we do that with love, too. We do that with affection. We think if that person doesn't love us, we can make them love us. Or they're going to love us. And then we get obsessed. And then when they don't love us in return, we want to hurt them. And there have been tales of that before. Uh, murder mysteries of that kind where unrequited love causes that. And that's not what biblical love is at all. True love doesn't cause envy. It doesn't cause wrath or strife. It only engenders more true love and compassion and care. So moving on, uh, the next verse that we find is Hebrews 11.1, 1, and it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Um, so faith is something that we have in mind, right? I've never seen Christ in the flesh. I've never seen Christ, you know, beside me. I've never seen Christ as a person, as tangible. But I know that he exists, and I know that one day I'll see him. So is faith. Faith is the same way. And that's what Paul means by that. Um, or we assume that Paul wrote Hebrews. Now, that is a an ongoing investigation. 
But whoever the author of Hebrews is, that's what they intended to write through the Holy Spirit. Um, in some ways, my opinion says St. Paul wrote this, but I could be wrong on Hebrews. Um, so that is faith. So the evidence of things not seen. Um, and that speaks to what God was talking about. You know, the visible things of God are clearly seen. So what we don't see is often what God is doing. You know, the things that we can see and perceive a lot of times are the things that God has nothing to do with. He's already done them. And so we're looking to dead things and we're looking to signs and wonders for God's uh, true love and evidence of himself. But that's not always the case. And then following that is Romans 8.24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. Again, the same kind of idea. Now, Paul is writing this. This is Romans. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? And this is true. If we can look at earth and look at all the great things we've had, yeah, we take precedence in those things. We love them. We appreciate them. But if that's all there is, then we've already received heaven. But that's not true of God. You know, he says that whatever the great things that he has in, uh, in store for us has not even entered the heart of man. So there's things we can't even imagine. But we often look at the things now, and that's why we worship one another. That's why we worship golden calves, because we can see it. We think that's something that we can uh, come in contact and be in tune with, because we can actually see and touch it. But God says no. The thing that you cannot handle is is truly God. That's the thing that you should hope for, because you haven't yet seen it or know about it. You know, uh, John says we've handled the word of truth, right? When they're talking about Christ and flesh. And that was a great thing. They had received Christ, but it wasn't yet. It wasn't the glorified Christ. And that's something that is to come. And that John, when he gives a revelation, he's only seen it. He's just seen it. But he hasn't embraced it yet. It hasn't been time yet for him to receive it. But one day we will as Christians. And the next we have is Colossians 3.14. It says, above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Which I find fascinating because, so charity, again, the King James Version is going to say charity instead of love. Um, but that's the bond of perfectness. So to be perfect, we have to have love. Putting on love is a, is a completion. It's a perfection. So God did everything in the atonement through Christ. But the love was what sealed it. That was what made it real and effectual. Um, because to do anything else is just robotic. It's just a natural inclination. It's just no emotion. It's indifference. But to do something with love is a sincerity. It's a complex of nature that supersedes man's ability in reality because we don't have the ability to truly give that all austere love like Christ does until we know Christ. So that's a great verse. It's, it pinpoints the idea of love in this context. And then following is 1 Corinthians 13, 13, which is nestled into the, the whole first footnote of 1 Corinthians 13. That says, And now abide of faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity, and that's the truth. It's the greatest of all. Love is everything. All that we have and all that we should give is love, but it has to be biblical and godly love. It can't be anything else. It can't be anything less, because if it's less, then it's less than perfect, and that's not true love by God's standard. True love is perfect from God's standards. God's love is perfect. And then following is Wisdom 8, 4 through 7, which says, For she is privy to the mysteries of the knowledge of God and the lover of his works, if riches be a possession to be desired in this life, what is richer than wisdom that worketh all things? And if prudence work, who of all that are is a more cunning workman than she? And if a man love righteousness, her labors are virtues, for she teaches temperance and prudence, justice and fortitude, which are such things as men can have nothing more profitable in their life. And I included this. This is wisdom of Solomon. In the Catholic Bibles, this is a book of the Bible. In Protestant Bibles, you won't see wisdom unless you have the Deuterocanonical or what they consider apocryphal books. 
But Solomon wrote this text, and this is often attributed to Mary. Um, wisdom is attributed to Mary. Mary is often called the Mary Seed of Wisdom. Mary Seed of Wisdom, pray for us. That's often an a intercessory prayer. Um, and then we attach that to also love, because he's personifying love. Mary gave all. She gave all to Christ. She loved Christ. She was uh, approached by an angel in the Annunciation, and, and being a young child, a young woman, um, she was given this this incredible gift, but also burden for her, or at least that's what St. Joseph perceived, and others have per- would perceive it as that, being such a young child and having such the weight of the world put on her. Um, but that was an amazing gift. It was the gift of God. And so we can attribute that to wisdom and love. Mary and wisdom and love are kind of this three revolving idea. Um, and so I see that within this text. Um, and then following is 2 Peter 1.3, which says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So virtue is always an important aspect to love. If love is a virtue, then all the other virtues revolve around love. And so we have to have a virtuous life and a moral life. We have to live godly. We have to live virtuously. That's what Christ has called us to do. Um, that includes faith and hope. So love without faith and hope is nothing either. Um, we have to realize that too. Love just can't be the whole thing. God is love, but God is also many other things. Um, but love is what keeps it in tandem. It's what keeps him attached. And then we have John six forty four, and it says, No man can come to me except the Father, which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Um, and I was speaking about Jesus and the Father. How can nobody can come to the Father except through Christ? And there's that interpersonal relationship that they have that's connected. Um, but there has to be a source, and that's what God is. God the Father is the source, even for Christ. And so love draws back to the source, and that is God Almighty. Um, we love through Christ, who's the mediator of all of our sins, mediator of all graces, mediator of all truth. Uh, but it draws back to the absolute source, and that is God, his Father, and our Father, too. And then after that, it's Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must first believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Um, and that's true for faith. So we come into the relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But without faith, it doesn't mean anything. And that's kind of the same idea in the formula for love, right? If we're being Christian, but we don't have true godly love, then it doesn't make any difference what we do. Um, it doesn't mean anything. It's worthless. And that's what Paul was saying. But in this, in, in Hebrews, again, I suspect Paul wrote Hebrews. Could be wrong. In this, he's saying the same thing about faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. So you can bring love, which a lot of modern Christian churches do, and theologies and types of fads and trends. They they like to bring love into the conversation, but there is no true faith behind it. It's just social justice work. It's just a social program of Christ. It doesn't mean anything. It satisfies the body, but not the soul. And God is looking for spiritual enhancement. He's looking for internal enhancement. That's the difference. So moving forward, then we jump into Psalm 78, 7 that says that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So this draws back to the Gospels where it says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's what Christ says to his disciples. So that's for us as Christians. We have to follow the commandments, and that shows that we really love our fruits and our works will tell us where our heart is. And if our heart's in Christ, then we'll keep his commandments. And that will show that we truly love him because we know that he's the standard and we want to keep the standard. 
Psalm 24, 1 is following. It says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof the world, and they that dwell therein. So we know that everything belongs to God anyway. Right? We belong to God. Our bodies belong to God. Our souls belong to God. Though we sin and though we commit sin and break commandments, um, the reason that's so violent and so um, volatile is because God owns all of it. So everything that we do and breathe and live and have is His. And so when we break the commandments and we violate those things that He's given us, even our faith, that's a hefty fine. That's a huge trespass. Matthew 27, 46 is the next, and it says, At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I apologize if I skewered um, the Aramaic there. But when he was dying on the cross, the sins of the world were put on his shoulders. And so there was a, there was a season of dark, an hour of darkness. And Christ in his humanity was saying, why have you forsaken me, my Lord? Why does God turn his back? Because he can't look at sin. And Christ had been that penal substitution. He literally became a substitution for us. He literally had sin put on top of him. And he served as that sacrificial lamb to die in our place. We were supposed to be the sinner, but he became the sinner that did not sin because he's God, but he became that sacrificial sinner that had to give his life for us. It was the perfect sacrifice. Again, perfect love because Jesus was sent by God, his only begotten son that God sent. And he, God is love. So it's the son of love. And that is the, that is the bond of perfectness, all into all integrated into the passion of Christ. Then it says Genesis 22, 10 through 12 is the next. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast withheld thy son, thy, thine only son from me. And so this is the Old Testament pre-illustration of Christ giving himself on the cross at Calvary. Uh, because Abraham was going to offer up his son Isaac on an altar. And just before he did, before the knife came down, the angel of the hand stopped him and said, I've seen enough. God has seen enough. He knows you're faithful. He knows you'll do whatever it takes to serve me, even offering your own son. And that's exactly what God did. So that was a, that was a humane or humanity version of what God would do with Christ, uh, a pre-illustration in, in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. And then following is John 17, 4, and it says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So he finished it in love when he died and gave up the ghost, when he made atonement through the blood of his own self. Um, he had finished it. Love had finished the work. Love completed it. Again, think of bond of perfectness, true love in God, true love in Christ. That's a bond of perfectness. That's a completion. Then 1 Corinthians 1.30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Um, so, this is speaking on some more virtuous virtuous acts and, and things of virtue, and that's wisdom and righteousness, uh, which leads to sanctification and redemption, right? We endure unto the end, and we're saved. Our sanctification is a continuous uh, repentance of sin, a continuous, a continuous molding and shaping and sharpening of our faith into conformity with Christ, to looking like Christ, to being Him, uh, divine emulation, to continue to, to draw forth the aspects of Christ to become just like Him. And then following is 1 John 4, 9, and it says, And this was manifest, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And again, that perfect love, right? Sending Him into the world, 
Uh, this is St. John. He's re recollecting and reflecting on Christ being sent because this is after his death and resurrection and ascension. And so this was manifested, the love of God, right? We were sinners. We weren't. We were meant to die in our sins. And here comes God sending Christ, a, redeem, a redemptorist, a, a savior, a redeemer. And that just shows and demonstrates a love that we can never understand fully, but we can try to work towards and, and attain. And then after we have 1 Corinthians 15, 53, which says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So we're mortal, but we have to dwell, and we have to attach ourselves to something eternal, and that's Jesus. Right? This body will die, but one day we'll have new bodies and be glorified in Christ. So we have to put on love, that is Jesus himself, until we die, until we perish, and then we are translated into the kingdom of God and transformed. And so that we can we be, we be um, become and, and turn into a transformed version of ourselves now, something that can't die, in, incorruptible. And so then, follow we have John nineteen twenty four, and it says, "They said therefore among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they parted my raiment among me." And my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. So when Jesus is on the cross, he's having his clothing gambled over. Um, they're taking the vestments and the clothing and the raiment that he wore. Um, so according to to the narrative there, he's naked on the cross. He's He is bearing his shame, bearing our shame himself. And this is a draw, this is a, a callback really to Genesis in the garden when Adam and Eve were naked. Um, that's pure innocence, but it's innocence now that's coming out through shame and regret and guilt by us, by mankind. Not by him, since Christ is innocent and sinless, but because man has lived sinfully through Adam. So now the nakedness is shown again. It's, a, it's coming back to innocence, but it's through pain and suffering, regret and reparation. And that's Christ making that reparation. And then following is Isaiah 64, 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And so we have filthy rags, we have crimson stains that need to be white, we have scarlet that needs to be white as snow. That's another callback to Isaiah as well. Um, we need redemption and forgiveness, and so Christ offers that. Through the blood of his atonement, the red blood of his atonement, we can become white as snow, white um, like the pearly white of his uh, of his complexion and revelation, right? Because white is always often attributed to purity. Uh, red is blood; it's violent, murder-esque. Um, so the lamb slain, you know, the blood is on the altar; it's spread, and it's for redemption. And then we have Revelation two four. Nevertheless, I have someone against you, because thou hast left thy first love. So Jesus is saying that you know I loved you first. So the least you can do is love me in return, right? We left our first love. He's speaking to the churches in this regard. You've left your first love. You loved Christ. You served him as a body of Christ. You served him as a church, but you've left him now. So you've left your first love. Now he's bidding you to come back. Come back to me in relationship. Come back to me in true love. Love me in return so that I can do for you what I desire to do. Since I reared you in love by loving you first, conceived in the mind of God loving you, come back to me so I can love you more. And then Revelation 22, 13, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So he sees all and knows all. Omnipotence, omnipresence, omniscient, right? From the beginning and the last, he knows you. 
So he's waiting for you to come back. He's waiting for you to experience the true love. And this is taking on a salvation turn kind of conversation because when we talk about love, we talk about stripping ourselves down to the bare root of ourselves and confessing sin and becoming right with God again. That's how we know what true love is, to empty ourselves of our own self and to take on the conscience of God and the mind of God and say, okay, true love doesn't exist around me, it exists around God. So I need to be right with him. I need to come into relationship with Christ. And then finally, to close, Matthew 16, 16, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Peter was confessing because Jesus says, Who do people say that I am? Peter says, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're everything to us. You know, we don't want to go anywhere else. You have the words of eternal life, is what they would say, the disciples. They loved him. They wanted to love him more. And that was before they gave were given the Holy Spirit. And they wanted to love him even more. And after that, they were on fire. And you know, the epistles of Peter and John and Paul, when he was converted on Damascus Road, they were on fire for Christ, the love of the Holy Spirit, burned within him as a fire. And that's what Jesus wants to do with us. Did, our, did not our hearts burn within us? The two on the Emmaus Road said that when Christ is sitting before them, because his words are life and truth. You know, they stick and they point and they stab and they pierce because they're full of love and truth. And those two things can be very offensive to the non-believer. So I thank you for joining me today. I thank you for joining me for this third paragraph now, and the greatest of these, my publication and book that I wrote. I enjoy reading it. I enjoy having the narration, and, and I hope you enjoy the same. I'm sorry that this episode is shorter. I am uh, busy with many projects underway, and so I will return back to this, to what they would say, normal programming. But I thank you for joining me. I pray this transforms you. I pray the word of God transforms you. I pray that you hunger and thirst and seek after Christ and that you come to understand what true love is. I invite you to read Greatest of These. Um, it's available on Amazon Kindle for publish or for uh, purchase. Uh, it is a published work. Um, it is something that I enjoy doing in terms of theology and study and, and examination. And so I pray that uh, if anything, you'll listen to, this, to these programs if you... Uh, decide not to purchase and just read along with me at some point in the future i'd like to read the entire book without interruption but this is a uh, meant for reading and then discussion because i want people to understand the word of god and, and i want them to understand what it means to be a christian what it means to love god what it means to love others uh, the first and, and second great commandments that christ gave us and then what it means to know the word you know so that's my uh intention and, and my mission and goal and drive. And so I, I hope that you can bear with me uh, in this time. And again, I thank you for listening. I thank you for the playbacks. I thank you for the interest. And I pray God blesses you greatly, mightily, and many, many times. Thank you for listening with us today. And for more information, you can visit allthingsworktogether.org or you can visit Facebook at MatthewPope28 or Instagram at MatthewPope28 and the various accounts related. We cherish and prize ourselves on delivering the truth to you and to having your support in return. And may God bless you. And until the next episode, as we dive into greatest of these, we hope that you'll be there to join us.